Today, Entrepreneur House listeners, we're privileged to have Neha Gupta on our show. Neha has owned an organic children's clothing line and runs ElitePrivateTutors.com. Elite Private Tutors is a tutoring company that focuses on concierge level service, delivering top-notch grades and service since 1998. She has created a training system to produce some of the best tutors in the industry. She is the author of The Four-Year Plan, which is a book that helps mothers and children create an effective plan to get into the university of their dreams. She is also a featured author in Chicken Soup for the Soul, A Time to Thrive. In addition, she has a product to help students get into college in 21 days, appropriately named How to Get Into College in 21 Days. It's a video-based training program using strategies to change the way you apply and get accepted to universities. Here's what I love about Neha. She's a chef, a world traveler, a master socialite, an author, a serial entrepreneur, an artist, a wine enthusiast, and maybe most importantly, a good friend. Over the past few weeks, I've been fortunate enough to get to know Neha on a personal level, and what amazes me about her is that she's only 30, incredibly successful, and out of all the things she does, she works very, very, very little, which also tells me she's a master at delegation. And it is my esteemed privilege to introduce and welcome Neha Gupta to the show. <laughs> Hi, Chris. How are you today? Good. Good. So I want to start off with your background. So where did you start at? How did you get and move into being the entrepreneur and person that you are today? And feel free to dig deep on this because I really want the listeners to get to know you on a personal level. Well, it's been a really long journey. So... In college, I was a triple major, and I studied economics, management, and policy, and I was on a very strict trajectory of what was expected of me. So I actually worked at Goldman Sachs, and I did banking. I thought that was the pinnacle of what success was, and I was actually extremely unhealthy, really stressed out. I would remember you know, sleeping under my cubicle in my suit and waking up the next morning at four in the morning, oh. trying to start my workday as an as a banker and I just realized that like that just wasn't the lifestyle I wanted mm -hmm. but everyone around me had always said well you've always gotten these incredible jobs that like people would die for so that's what kept me going was just being concerned with what everyone else wanted of me so um anyways eventually I ended up leaving there and I worked in New York it was my first time moving out of Texas mm -hmm. I moved to New York and I worked at Coach Handbacks in product development and it was a lot of fun um but also another large company. Mm -hmm. And it was great, but I felt like still another cog in the entire system. Okay. So that was pretty challenging. And at the time, my sister had started the organic children's clothing line. So here I was in New York getting all this incredible experience in fashion. And she said, look, you know, you're working nine to five, and then you're working with me five to nine. Just quit and move back and let's try this, you know, for real. How old are you at this time? Um, I was... I think 22 okay. when that happened. Um, but keep in mind, my parents were entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So I grew up already with parents that moved from India with $20 in their pocket. And they started a multi-million dollar company within a few years of being here. So entrepreneurship was the base of my life. You know, when I went to school and came home, it, all we ever talked about was entrepreneurship at the dinner table. It was oh, nice. expected that I made A's all the time. Um, and schoolwork was just expected but we always talked about business mm -hmm. so when I chose to go work at these large companies it's funny but my family actually kind of laughed at me a lot because they always said you're you know you're born an entrepreneur so it's gonna happen 
So anyways, at 22, we worked on the children's clothing line. It was great. My sister and I were business partners. She is the analytical, logical research perfectionist, and I am the give me the product and let me run with it and sell it as much as possible. Okay. So within 18 months, I got us into 250 stores across the country. I was literally technically a nomad, just domestically. And I just traveled the whole U.S. to almost every Whole Foods and opened us in every account. So you guys are going, you're going pretty much cold calling into all these stores yes. all across the U.S. Totally. Oh, like, that's incredible. There's videos of us uh, on YouTube you know, two Texas girls experiencing the snow, mm -hmm. uh, where we were driving in Colorado in January, and we were like, how are we supposed to get to a Whole Foods, you know? Mm -hmm. In Texas, the snow day is like 55 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so we were, you know, so we had a lot of incredible experiences. So mm -hmm. by the age of 24, I had a very strong sense of how to do cold calling and sales, uh -huh. and how to open accounts, how to manage accounts, and all that. And then after that, I ended up deciding to work again in like the real world. Um, and I worked at Minted, which is a crowdsourced design company for stationery. Okay. And I worked right under the CEO who actually used to work at Goldman Sachs. And it was one of the most challenging experiences because there was no work-life balance, even though it was a startup. Mm -hmm. So every single time I wasn't finding a solution that worked for the lifestyle I had dreamed of because I, I knew at some point the life I wanted had to exist in some way. Right. I just don't think it existed in a job. So I tried another job again, and it's just like I had all these like six-month stints, which eventually a good friend looked at me and was like, why don't you just admit you're an entrepreneur? The only thing you stuck to for three years uh -huh. was something entrepreneurial, and you keep quitting these great jobs. Like, And you know that's a lot for the company. They're training you, then you leave. So... So at my last, last company, I was working at a digital marketing agency. I was like AdWords certified, SEO certified, uh, building websites. But at night, I tutor from 5 to 10, Monday through Friday. And mm -hmm. then I tutor on the weekends. And then financially, I started doing better than if I was sitting eight hours at my cube board. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't until that point I was ready to like fully just jump off the bandwagon and say, okay, I think I have something here. Okay. So that was in 2012, and I I was doing. You know, I, I've been tutoring actually since I was 16. So it's it's not something that's been new to me. Starting a tutoring company was not new, but when I launched it, I didn't know the level of success I would get within the first like two to three months. Okay. So within the first like three months, I basically made my salary of a full year in a month, and that's when I realized, okay, maybe I'm onto something. <laughs> Then we grew the team from four tutors to about 20 in like six to eight months. Mm -hmm. Then I started to hire an internal team and realized I shouldn't be doing all of this. I'm not, I didn't want to be a glorified secretary. Right. In a lot of ways, I was basically a glorified secretary for moms to book appointments and mm -hmm. me to tell tutors where to go. And then, you know, now we're at a place where I have an internal team that manages the whole company mm -hmm. and it's allowed me to do things like write a book or work with Chicken Soup for the Soul or create a digital marketing, you know, product. Um, and so we're kind of foraying into these different outlets for tutoring versus just one-on-one -on -one coaching. Okay. So yeah, it's a long background, but... <laughs> no, it's good. I'd like to know, okay, how your training system for your tutors, how did you set that up and what does that look like now? So my theory is when I wanted to create something, I wanted to do something that was systematic, intelligent, and didn't require me at all. Okay. So what I did was I empowered my team, the first few hires, 
they were kind of like test subjects. Mm -hmm. And so I asked them tons of questions about like, you know, how can the experience be better? I think the reason I'm so successful is because I was a tutor myself. Mm -hmm. So the systems and processes I made were because I know what a tutor really needs because I've been doing it for 10 years. So our training process is all Mm -hmm. video-based. I actually even have tutors that did the training itself um, and we filmed them. So every time a new tutor comes on, they get a welcome email that's got over eight or nine videos in it. And then we have even documents that that state everything that they need to know from how to structure a one-hour session, what to do every five minutes. Mm -hmm. If they want to do that, all the way to dress code. It's so detailed because I hire very, very smart kids. Mm -hmm. Some of them learn visually. Some of them learn reading documents, like process documents. If I hire, for example, a male engineer, he needs like three or four documents to read through to know exactly what he needs to know. So I found a way to make a training system that works for all personality types, and then they're required to email us back summaries, and you know we even check with clients on their dress code because we need to make sure they're not wearing like a shirt with beer on it or something crazy. <laughs> so our training program is, is pretty intense, but honestly, it's the hiring process that's like where the sweet spot is. Let's dig into your books a little bit. So where'd you get the idea for the four-year plan, and then <laughs> how'd you go about writing it and, and publishing it? I was at a Tony Robbins conference in Fiji for a month, and I ran into Lauren Slocum Lahav, who is Tony Robbins' right-hand woman. Okay. Um, I was at an event at Life Mastery, and she was sitting in the back, and I went to go talk to her just to like thank her for the event and whatever. Anyway, she said, hey, you know, what do you do? And I told her what I did, and she goes, oh my gosh, my son is applying to colleges, and I'm traveling Every other week for these conferences, I have no time to even research or understand what he needs. Mm -hmm. I'm considering holding him back for a year and just letting him have a gap year because we just can't get this figured out. Mm -hmm. And I said, dude, this is like literally what I do. We ended up working together. She flew me to Vegas and I ended up doing the college applications with him in like five days. I've kind of built it down to a science where I can literally do it in a weekend. And by the end of it, she looked at me and she goes, you know what? I'm going to give you some coaching because I feel like you're young. I think I was 26 or 28 at the time she was you're young I really feel like you're kind of like me but you have so many tools already in place I she goes I'm the most connected woman in the world I have an incredible Rolodex but the knowledge that's in your brain I don't even have that nice so she she basically said you need to write a book she had already written three top books they were featured in like us weekly people magazine uh-huh. um, she's very very successful So we talked out like what the book should be. And then from there, it took me a good amount of time to actually write it. I wrote a good portion of it. She looked at it. She scrapped it. So a good amount of time. How long was that? Um, It took me, you know, the lazy version was from start to finish of getting like 5,000 copies printed about 11 months. Okay. The actual writing itself only took me like two to three months. Okay. Just focused. And then she scrapped it. Yes, and then I had to do it again. Okay. So it took a period of 11 months for me to get that together. And it was great by the time it was done. I remember sitting in a mastermind with her in September of last year, and I had the word document, and I said, I just, I'm so tired now. I think it's, you know, it's just, here it is, it's done, but I just, I don't feel like going the next steps. And she goes, you have to get this printed. Like, (laughs) let's keep going with, with the process. Right. And now it's a printed real book, and it's, it's an incredible accomplishment on my end to finally be able to put something from start to finish and and so you got featured in chicken soup for the soul yes how did you do that yes so the book was focused on 
I think they got about 2,000 submissions and they only accepted like 50. Mm -hmm. So the book is focused specifically on people that have incredible stories. And I talk about this background story I told you earlier of what it was like to work at Goldman to to where I am now, like really feeling like I'm making an impact. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things, you know, the title of mine was Today's Your Day. And it was focused on like telling people in their 20s, you know, you really need to reflect on why you're doing what you're doing. Because you can't just do things because other people tell you that's successful right. or the prestigiousness of like having an incredible name on your resume right. should not be the reason why you're waking up every day to go to work. So that's kind of how my story got in. I actually hope to be in at least two to three more Chicken Soup for the Soul books. I already have one or two stories I'm starting to write again. Nice. So yeah, they, they, they definitely love getting stories that are unique. And I would assume people from the D.C., I mean, the stories are incredible. So you just sent, sent, sent in your, uh, you, you sent can, it in. Yeah, you go to Chicken Soup for the Soul. So just to... And then you can even get on their email list and you get these like story call outs. Okay. So, for example, right now they're looking for the joy of less. Mm-hmm. And I just experienced that, you know, moving to Barcelona, what the joy of less meant. Right. So I think that story is going to be really interesting nice. uh, for the book. Nice, yeah. So I like to dig in, in on these podcasts. I like to dig in deeper, like into the person, like who she, who he or she really is. And so, when I ask you, what what's the most astounding fact about your business? I think honestly, the best part about my business is the fact that we literally are changing the way males and females at a teenage level feel about themselves. I think that's the most incredible part of what I do. Right on. We on the surface, are helping them academically. Mm-hmm. But we're actually mentoring them from a social standpoint, a self-esteem standpoint, confidence. People don't realize how hard teenagers have it. I have students that'll tell me, you know, beautiful students that are like in seventh grade will say, you know, my mom's not in the house, no one's here, but I just thought I'd tell you since we've been tutoring so much, like last year I almost killed myself because mm. I was uh, cyberbullied with these girls and I went to school one day and I had no friends anymore. And I couldn't talk to anyone about it. Wow. And it's it's really hard to listen to this when you're when you're older because you forget how hard it is to be a teenager. Right. And people actually don't realize how hard it is to be a teenager in now what's the social media age. Um, I've had male students even tell me like there's these anonymous websites where girls will post things about them and even show me some of the things that have been said about them. Mm-hmm. And it really hurts their feelings. Like men have feelings and especially as a teenager, they're developing beliefs about women and relationships and men. Mm -hmm. Um, I even deal with things where if I'm tutoring and and a student has iMessage open and let's say they're in a group chat with eight males and maybe a male got dumped by a girl, you'll start to see this like kind of egging on of using inappropriate terminology with women. and, And it's a learning point, you know, outside of studying physics, I can say, you know, that's not appropriate, right? Like maybe they just didn't work out, but you know, for every, everyone to use an appropriate language and to, um, generalize women is really wrong. Yeah. And he might remember that five years later when he's in college and people are making really bad comments or saying them directly to a woman that, you know what, I actually had a really cool, uh, lady that tutored me and, you know, this isn't right. You know, sometimes there needs to be the liaison between the parent and the child a lot of times that's us. I think it says a lot uh, about our world that we're, you know, we're more we're more connected than we've ever been, right? With the internet and, and mass media and everything. But it says a lot about our world that we're evolving to the point where it's it's a big issue. Bullying is a big issue today. 
not only offline, but online, and people are teaching their children in your school, you know, or your tutoring company is teaching children too the same thing, that that's not okay, and you're changing, like, the outlook of, of people, of children, which is awesome. Yeah. So, <laughs> great job. So, what would you say is the most astounding fact about yourself? <laughs> I think, I think one of the, one of the most astounding facts about me is that I've come to finally a place where I'm extremely comfortable with who I am. Nice. So one of the things that I wasn't comfortable with, even let's say eight or nine months ago was who I was, what I looked like, what I stood for. I just lacked a lot of self-love. Mm -hmm. So I'd say like, that's my biggest thing. So how did you transform from eight or nine months ago to not being there to where you are now? Oh God, I did so much work. I think it was, it was all about like, honestly, I think it was turning 30 was a big thing. Uh -huh. Even though people tell you that, like once you turn 30, you're not going to give a shit of what other people think of you. And I didn't believe it at first, uh -huh. but I started to like really stand up for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it's ruffled a lot of feathers. You know, I started creating really healthy boundaries, even with clients, mm -hmm. you know, before I'd allow clients to really like get under my skin or yell at me or use inappropriate language. And now I'm just like, you know what, here's a refund. I don't think we're a good fit. Nice. And it's been great to, kind of come to a place where I have standards for what I think is allowed in my life. And I don't think I was actually taught that. I think, I think it's, it's something that comes over time and it takes time to kind of get there. I've also hired like a coach or two in the last few months that have really asked me very deep questions about where my beliefs came from. Why do they exist? Mm -hmm. um, I've had to unlock a lot of things that I'd held on to for years and the work wasn't easy. I mean, I even had to talk to my mom and like ask her questions that aren't easy as well. And what I realized is I was holding on to like stuff from like 15 years ago that mm -hmm. I didn't realize was there. Yeah. So it was very challenging. I mean, I still struggle. I mean, there's still days where I'm like, oh God, I wish I looked different or I wish I was doing this or I should be doing more. But I'd say, like, the biggest thing is, like, finally just not putting myself through things I don't want to do. Nice. Yeah. Good. Congratulations on that. <laughs> From our conversations um, earlier and today, uh, it seems like your childhood was almost 100% opposite of my childhood, right? So you grew up in an Indian-American family, uh, Indian family in America. <laughs> And it's very entrepreneurial. And I grew up in a family that's, you know, in the Midwest, blue-collared family. And so we had very different conversations at our dinner table um, as opposed to the conversations you had. And you had a lot of conversations about being an entrepreneur growing up. I had a lot of conversations about, I don't know, being a construction worker or a farmer or kind of middle middle class mentality, employee mentality conversations at our dinner table growing up. And so for me, it was, it was a really, it's been a really big challenge letting go of those beliefs and stepping into the beliefs of anything's possible um, as an entrepreneur, especially an online entrepreneur, and you can create anything and make money from anything, a limitless amount of money from any type of idea that you have in the world. So growing up with at an entrepreneurial table with your parents and family, what was that like? And what did you gain most from that? So it's interesting. I've had conversations like this even when I was in Austin um, with people that had different experiences than I did. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we argue about is I think it's this whole concept of abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. So in my world, the questions that would be asked whenever I started a business, you know, at one point I said, you know, 
four tutors is great. I'm good with that. Like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But the questions that were asked were, is four really enough? Let's look at the numbers if you did 20. What if you did 100? What if you had an account manager? What if you expand into three cities? Mm -hmm. So the conversations in my house are constantly all about, like, expansion, next steps. Are you going to own a school? What about a retail location? And even as a child, I grew up in the warehouse of, you know, my parents started a electronics company out of their garage and then they call me like the lucky baby because once I was born, that's when the business like blew up Yeah. and they had three retail locations. They worked nonstop and they, I think they were one of the largest mail order companies for electronics at that time. Nice. And so I grew up in a warehouse that had like multi-million dollars worth of equipment mm -hmm. and my job was to make sure boxes got mailed out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, they would yell at me if the label was not perfectly straight They're like do you know what this means when you don't put a label on straight it means that you're not you're not able to produce perfect quality or good quality things mm -hmm. you know our holidays were spent in the retail locations because everyone buys electronics during thanksgiving and christmas so my whole childhood was around being in a business the whole time for a long time i actually and why i went corporate was i don't want that lifestyle of always working mm -hmm. my parents worked all the time and Although, yes, I will say that, like, I think genetically I was born to be an entrepreneur. I think there's genetics involved. I think there's definitely nurturing that happened mm -hmm. uh, for sure, uh, especially since all my aunts and uncles are entrepreneurs and 99% of my cousins are. Mm -hmm. um, that, yes, the conversations are different. It's almost like my family is a mastermind every time we get together. Yeah, nice. There's no way to have a conversation that doesn't involve business right. in our house. So... I would say, yeah, I mean, my childhood was definitely different. I think that's why I structure my business so differently. So sometimes my family is kind of surprised at how little I work, mm -hmm. but it's because I did grow up with entrepreneurial workaholics. Yeah. So, you know, although we did take, we did take incredible vacations. We did take breaks. They still worked a yeah. lot and they may not see it that way, but as a child of that, um, I wanted to make sure that I was an entrepreneur that could still be successful, maybe not at their level of financial success. But I could be happy and live a lifestyle that felt like retirement while I was young and gorgeous and can still do that, you know? <laughs> so how has that, so tell me from what you've learned out of all your experiences, um, what type of conversations do you plan on having at your dinner table when you have a family? Well, so I want my child to be an entrepreneur at like the age of four. Okay. Because no one says no to a child when you, they sell you something. And I've helped kids right. even when I was 16. I helped students start little fledgling businesses when I was a teenager. Like, hey, we need to raise money for, you know, I was, for example, my first tutoring experience was um, I tutored three kids in dance. Mm -hmm. These three little girls, they wanted, their moms wanted them to win the talent show. I worked with a lot of uh, type A tiger moms, even at 16 I was. Okay. And um, at the time there was a earthquake in Gujarat and they were at my house and they're like, wait, aren't you Indian? Like, did any of your family members get hurt? I was like, no, but I am trying to do disaster relief at school. And they brought me, like, by the next dance session, they brought me, like, $800 in a crayon box. Wow. And they were like, here, like, this is for your families and friends in India. Like, we want to help you. So I think that there's this immense amount of power that children can have and uh -huh. learn at a, an extremely young age because there's just there's just so much time. Like, outside of school... And if you don't do sports or if you do some, 
there's this immense amount of time where you could just mentor even a teenage guy or girl on starting a business. A lot of my students I work with for their college applications, we start businesses and then we talk about them in the applications. Mm -hmm. um, we have students that started a scarf company where they used materials from their mom's old saris and then had refugees uh, make them into infinity scarves and then she had trunk shows. Mm -hmm. We've had students, like male students, do power washing of driveways and they're making like three grand a month just power washing driveways in the summer. Mm, nice. So, you know, and I don't think they know what to do with that money, but it's, I, I absolutely believe that students and children, especially at my dinner table, are going to be doing like business after business after business and they're going to experience and understand what failing means. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing that people forget when they're a parent is they, they want to protect their child so much that they never let them fail. Mm. And business is one of the best places to consistently fail Yeah, because you really actually get an MBA when you have a business that fails. Absolutely. So yeah, my, yeah. my dinner table is going to be full of like entrepreneur magazine and, <laughs> you know, all that jazz. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so Neha, tell us a little bit about your product, uh, how to get into college in 21 days. It seems like it's almost like a super hack for students, <laughs> uh, which is a lot of us online entrepreneurs, we really like that stuff. So kind of explain how it came about and what it is and, and what you're doing with it. So the college process, if anyone remembers that, or if they went to college, you'll... Oh, we all do. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, it can be like a five month process. Uh -huh. Um, it can be excruciating. It can be a lot of fighting with your parents. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of emotions involved in it. College has also doubled in cost since we went to college. So there's even more stress from a mm -hmm. parent standpoint on the whole process. Where it came about was my, my client base is mostly wealthy private school children. Mm -hmm. And when I would work with public school children that still have wealthy families, I was seeing a gap in their level of, I don't know if I'd say courtship, but like their level of relationship with their college counselor. Okay. So in public school, you have 800 to 1,000 students to like two counselors. Right. And in private school, you have 120 students to six counselors. So you're already seeing a gap in the finesse of a private school student's application, whereas a public school's application could almost seem like it's mismatched together. Okay. Versus a private school's application will come in a folder and it has resume paper and it has a photo book and it has all these like things that make it seem like you should take me like you're lucky to have me right the public school applications like i think my teacher rex turned it in i'm still checking if they did i think my college counselor kind of knows about me but we've never really had a meeting and here's all the stuff and i think i want to go to college and right. your college seems great so this product basically takes all the secrets i've learned from all of the private school education i have had and it basically gives it in a very low cost way in 10 to 12 videos of exactly what that, that secret sauce method is for applying to college. Nice. So the book that I wrote was about 9th through 12th grade, and that's also all the private school secrets of exactly what to do months and months to get into like an Ivy League right. or a top college. And then the digital product is what you pick up at 11th or 12th grade, mm -hmm. hopefully 11th if you're smart, um, and don't delay the whole process on exactly how to get into college. And it's almost basically like having a souped-up college counselor. I like it. <laughs> and where can people find that at? Oh, people can find it at thefouryearplan.com, all letters. Very nice. So let's move into a little bit about living in the entrepreneur house. You came here two and a half weeks ago? Yes. Yeah. And so what made you decide to come stay with us? So, well, I was at the DC conference in June. It was the first time I'd 
ever been to anything like a DC conference. I'd never heard what a digital nomad was before then. And I was in Croatia at the time, and a friend of mine referred me to this conference. And I had a little bit of hesitancy towards it, Mm -hmm. but I ended up coming, and it was as if I had met my tribe. Because I had been, I didn't realize that I was already technically nomadic. I'd set up a home base, but I'd only be there six days a month. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing that for like eight years. It's very expensive and kind of a waste of money. (laughs) So when I went to this conference and everyone was like, oh, I don't have a home. I'm homeless. I was like, that's kind of weird. All these guys are homeless and they live with their parents. Like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) But then when I got to know them better, I realized, oh, basically they just travel the world instead of just the U.S. And so I left the conference and I felt like a severe amount of FOMO because everyone was staying. Like I remember that at the end mm. of the conference, everyone raised their hand on who was staying in Barcelona. And yeah. I kind of felt like the outside kid that had to leave because I had a return ticket. Yeah. So, so I came back to the U.S. and I felt really unhappy. Mm-hmm. Like It was as if I came back, I started spending time with my friends, the conversations weren't the same anymore to me, and it felt... I felt a little dead on the inside. Mm -hmm. And so part of me was dealing with this. Am I just going to be okay with the norm I've set up? Or should I go ahead and just test this out? Right. And every nomad I talked to, even in Austin, said, you know, if you don't like it, you can reverse your decision. This isn't life or death. But I've always known I'm the type of person that once I make a decision about something, it has to happen. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't, I don't go backwards. So anyways, I did the whole thing. I sold like half my stuff. Um, I packed it all in boxes, shipped it to my mom's house, and and then I booked a one-way ticket for the first time. And you also downsized too, yeah? I did. I downsized into a carry-on. I've um, never traveled with just a carry-on. And you love shopping, so how was that for you? It was hard. I've done some shopping while I'm here just to like feel a little bit of variety in my wardrobe. Uh-huh. Uh, but the funny part about it is even though I've done that, I still am noticing that even with less, I'm still only wearing like... 20 to 25 percent of even what's left 20 percent of of what you wear of like eight or six percent of what my typical wardrobe is (laughs) okay so i just find it fascinating you know that you realize you actually don't really need anything it's incredible huh it's really an amazing feeling what does that feel like to you oh it feels like you weigh nothing yeah so like you're not attached to anything and all you really have is your brain Uh um your bank account to like make sure this lifestyle still exists. Um, and then the people you're around and that's kind of all that really matters. Right. Yeah. It's different than what I was doing before. I know I've been traveling long-term traveling for over four years now. And one of the things I do consistently to make sure to find a bit of security when I think, you know, things are getting shaky or off is I just open up my bank account, make <laughs> sure that everything's in its place. <laughs> and as long as everything is in its place, and I'm like, I'm like, well, I can survive for quite a while. I'm okay. I don't have to worry about anything, you know, even if I lose my clothes or my wallet or my computer or whatever, yeah. you know, I'm okay. And that's, that's my sense of security, making sure that my money is in each, each account. It's so funny. I actually logged in for the first time today and I was like, what am I stressed out about? I'm fine. Like, yeah. Why am I stressed? Yeah, There's exactly. nothing. Cause I'm, I feel like I'm spending barely anything being here yeah. versus the lifestyle I had in the U.S. So you feel, is is Barcelona a cheaper city, or is it because... I think anywhere is cheaper than the U.S. Yeah. I think there's something about the culture of the U.S. in general. It's all about, like, more. Buy more. Let's mm-hmm. do more things. Let's spend more. Um, I'm bored. Let's go shopping. Like, that was my life for a lot of a lot of days when I was in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how we connect in a lot of ways. Versus here, it's like, 
we can connect over a cup of tea in an apartment and have an incredible conversation and it doesn't even involve like spending a cent and that's what kind of floors me so tell us about your arrival into barcelona what was that like? <laughs> so I remember I was at the airport and I had to say bye to my mom and that was really hard. And then I got on the plane and it was just, it just felt really right. Mm -hmm. And then when I touched down, I was like, finally, I'm back. You know, it was as if like I really needed to be there. Mm -hmm. And then Justin was waiting for me upon arrival. And it was really funny because um, I had been, I had been on the WhatsApp. So I was feeling FOMO the whole time for like two or three weeks seeing what everyone was doing. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Justin's picture. I looked at it thinking that he looked a certain way. Uh -huh. And then I opened the door and Justin's standing there. I'm like, you look nothing like what you're supposed to look like in my head. But he was totally welcoming. I came in and we just totally clicked. It was as if like, it was as if like we were all meant to be where we were supposed to be at this exact time. Right. And it, was, it just felt really right. And so meeting some of the other entrepreneurs in the house, what was that like? I think it's been really interesting. Um, I think the one thing that I'm noticing is very different is everyone really likes to work. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been like one thing that I found fascinating. I guess I always made the assumption, or maybe it's just based on certain people I'd met in the D.C. during the conference. But I just assumed that when D.C.ers travel the world, they just travel and have fun and they maybe work an hour or two a day. Were those workaholic entrepreneurs like your parents? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, um, so that's like one thing that I, I was like, oh, you guys really actually work. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I found ways to keep myself a little more busier mm -hmm. um, by doing more work, which is good because there was some things I was just putting on the back burner that I wasn't going to do anyway. Yeah. Um, but just being surrounded by entrepreneurs and the conversations they're having, it's hard not to want to build your business more. So you came here for social reasons, a lot of social reasons, right? <laughs> yeah. You wanted to work less and just go have fun. Well, yeah, and I just needed to be around the people that I was missing when I came back to the U.S. Okay. Um, what are some of the things that you found you're getting yourself getting into in the city? So, you know, you're not working too terribly much, right? But you're going about the city and finding some fun stuff to do. So what do you do? What do you, have you been doing? Um, well, I definitely frequent my favorite restaurants. After the culinary the Chinese school. restaurant that nobody goes to. <laughs> no, not that one. I um I after going to culinary school last year, I have this like strong desire to find the most incredible food around the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I found amazing restaurants here. So that's been fun, including everyone in, in my like adventures. Mm -hmm. Um, one of my biggest dreams was I wanted to come back to Spain and go to Bocaria Market and experience it. And then um, shop there and cook. Mm -hmm. uh, and I got to fulfill that, which was, like, it's been on my, like, list since 2012 to do that. It's the best farmer's market in the world, in my opinion. Yeah. Then again, I also haven't been to Southeast Asia yet. So there's, there's obviously maybe some competition. Actually, it was so much fun because I, I live alone in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice to have, I would say, like, one of the highlights was, like, having people to cook for. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Cool. And so yeah, you've participated in a mastermind here yes and what was that like what was that like for you amazing yeah tell us about it so the first mastermind I was presenting and I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing and I got so much value out of it because everyone that was sitting around the table was so intuitive with either what I was saying or what I was doing a lot of times the circles I was in were very focused on like make money make money make profit make mm -hmm. money and it's your dinner table uh, mastermind. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Or even in my own family's masterminds mm -hmm. of like how to make more and more. 
Um, but this mastermind was different because it was, wow, you're actually really passionate about what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, like I felt like, I felt like all the layers of all my success had been kind of like taken away and people had seen me for really who I was within a 20 minute presentation. Wow. Yeah. And it was amazing because a lot of people can sometimes just see the outside and they don't see like the inside of why would you create a digital product? Like what was your reason behind it? And what is it that makes you want to do this? Mm -hmm. So I think the masterminds were incredible because people were open. They were honest with me. Um, And from it, I actually was able to create a strategic partnership with someone that I had been dreaming of hiring for over six months, but I didn't have the, I didn't have someone pushing me over the edge yet to Mm -hmm. say, you need to just call this person if this is who you want to work with. And even with the mastermind, I was able to talk to three other people that I was uh, interested in possibly um, hiring to be a strategic marketing partner. And it was just amazing how everyone was so willing to open their Rolodex for me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in certain circles, they don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's completely different when everyone's like, how can we help you get to the next level? I didn't have any fear around someone else coming in and being like, oh, I like your idea. I'm going to take it. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes you can can feel that around other entrepreneurs. There's this scarcity that sometimes happens. And the mastermind was basically the complete opposite. I felt like I was able to just really get a lot off my chest of what was like really stopping me. Mm -hmm. And people were able to see that like something was clearly stopping me from taking the next step and uh, ask me really deep questions about it. That's nice. What I've found about the DC and uh, people that stay at the entrepreneur house is they're really, really, they want, you know, they become a friend, yeah, a friend, but they really want to help you. They want to help other people in the DC too. And so they are um, really willing to, to connect you with um, other important people, you know, in their lives and their businesses and stuff. So for people that are thinking about coming to the house, what would you say to them? I would say it's definitely a great idea. So the conference was my first like foray into what the DC was. I didn't even know what the website was called. Like I didn't know what DC stood for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like a complete newbie. And I would say that like the conference was great. I got to know people, but I didn't get to know people the way I'm getting to know people now. Okay. Um, I feel like I have buddies, which is really nice. And I really feel like I have, I feel like super taken care of here. Um, so it's, it's very, it's very interesting. It's like you kind of gel into this, uh, dynamic with people that are just like you. Mm -hmm. So you can move much more faster with people instead of just the conversations of like, how are you? How's your business? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's a lot more in depth of really getting to know people on a level that you would never get to know at a conference. Have you heard of the speed of trust, the book? No. Who wrote it? I was thinking it was... Stephen Covey, maybe. Um, but anyway, it's about working in tribes and working in networks that you absolutely, completely trust those people where um, business and goals and things are created much more quicker because you have 100% trust in those people. And that's kind of like what you mentioned here in the house. You know, um, Things are moving more faster for you because you have more trust in people and you can snowball it. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even compare it to a co-working space. I don't know. You can't yeah. really compare it to a lot of things because it's completely different than going to a, even a 10-day conference. Like I've done all of Tony Robbins conferences and it would be incredible if there was a Tony Robbins house, yeah. you know, like that would be nuts. And you have like a fire walk, like yeah. <laughs> every day at the end of the day. That was planned for our next mastermind. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good to know. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's just, it's just a different, it's kind of a, it's just the next step for entrepreneurship. Yeah, I think so too. One of the guys in the first house, he said something really cool. We had Easter together and we had a big dinner and he goes, I knew you guys were friends, but then when I experienced that dinner with you guys, we became family. And yeah. I think that's kind of what happens in this because there's probably been numerous times that I've mentioned it. Like, we're, we're your big bros. You know, we got to take care of you and make sure <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you get home safely. And, and you know, everything's taken care of. And Especially coming from a family of nine women. Yeah. It's nine girl cousins. It's like, uh, it's definitely a new experience to live with men. And <laughs> in general, just like, I feel more safe than I've, I've probably ever felt even living alone. That's really good. Can you evolve on that a little bit? Because I'm sure there's some other ladies out there that would like to join us. Yes. And, and they might be a little intimidated <laughs> totally. by all the testosterone that flows through this house. So, so. I would say um, there was definitely a lot of hesitation of me coming here because of that. And, you know, I've never had roommates before. Um, I lived at home during college. So um, my lifestyle was definitely very different. I've always lived with a lot of women. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I decided to just do this as a test experiment, just in general to see, like, I've wanted to come to the house, but I also wanted to see, like, will it be like a bro house or will I have to become one of the guys mm -hmm. in order to fit in? Um, but actually it, it's weird. It's like, it, it doesn't matter if you're a girl or if they're all men. Mm -hmm. Um, I still feel extremely included in everything. I feel more safe than I ever have before. I feel like I can ask, you know, I can ask, for example, and it sounds like a very small thing, but when you're for the first time traveling internationally without anybody, with a group of men you do not know, and you say something like, hey, I'm really not feeling well, can you walk me home? And they're like, absolutely, of course we will. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's no questions asked. Um, I always feel taken care of. I feel like they can also like read me really well mm -hmm. in the house too. So, you know, like... Sometimes I might get in a funk and, or I might be really homesick mm -hmm. and Justin will be like, I'm taking you out. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go out. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's all these like little things that really obviously build trust. But I would say that like for any woman, I think it's a great idea. Yeah. Totally. Nice. <laughs> I think that's the best recommendation we can go with. Perfect. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Monetary wise, how much do you think your time in the house, house is worth? Hmm. Well, I don't work so much, but I would say like the masterminds itself mm -hmm. and the people that I'm meeting and relationships I'm building that I know it, even later on I can reach out to if they need help or if I need help. I would say those relationships, I mean, you know, consultants cost upwards of at least three to five to 10 K based on the proposals I'm getting mm -hmm. per month. So imagine if you have a room or a group of like nine guys like that, like that's, worth a lot that's like 80 90k so it's really nice because it's not even just the work monetary mm -hmm. i don't know if you can just put monetary value on what's being done here i think there's there's like a social component there's being so intimately involved with people that are completely different than you mm -hmm. um that completely pull you out of your comfort zone you can't pay for that no so i i think there's like a combination of things happening here that it's hard to put monetary value on what's happening i know that just based on being here for even two and a half weeks that the speed at which my digital product is going to go based on the one mastermind i have is probably going to surpass the revenue of my tutoring business mm, wow by next year that's powerful yeah 
I'm excited about it because nice. now I'm like in the real digital nomad world because I have a digital product. We'll do a follow-up podcast <laughs> to see how that goes for you. Yes, you should. What was your favorite moment in the house? Oh, there's so many. It's the first one that came to mind. The first one was being able to cook for everyone. So that's definitely like one of my favorite moments. That was my favorite moment. Too. <laughs> okay. Like it was really fun to make Indian food for you guys the first night. Uh-huh. And you guys were hungry that day and it was just, I don't know, it just felt, it was just like a really nice dinner. Yeah. Even though it was very simple. Yeah. So. We should do that again. <laughs> Every day. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Neha, I want to give you a big thank you for coming onto the show. Thank you for coming to Barcelona, and thank you for staying at the Entrepreneur House. Um, before we sign off today, can you tell the listeners where they can get a, a hold of you at? Yeah, well, my email is Neha, N-E-H-A, at Elite Private Tutors, with an S, dot com. Um, my two websites are ElitePrivateTutors.com and TheFourYearPlan.com. Mm-hmm. So I think those would be the best ways to... Um, Reach out to me if they have any questions. And they can buy your book there too? Yes, you oh. can buy the book and the digital product is there too. And any tutoring services obviously as well. Very nice. Well, we definitely welcome you back to one of our houses in the future. <laughs> uh, we'd love to have you anywhere in the world. Again, thank you for coming on the show. And we're going to sign off, listeners. That's a wrap for us. And we'll see you all later. The Entrepreneur House is a travel and co-living experience for online entrepreneurs. Imagine spending one to two months in the world's most exotic cities with other successful entrepreneurs. Day to day you interact with other very driven and smart business people. Spending a long amount of time with them alters your business and your mentality around your business. Goals are set, new businesses are formed, new partnerships will develop, greater profit margins are achieved, and the productivity skyrockets for those living in the house. Our next house is in Rio de Janeiro, January 20th to March 20th, 2016. For those of you that are interested, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com website. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.